I've accepted that getting the traction that I would like to get in my content isn't something that's going to happen with the way things are right now. So, so why am I doing it? Am I、mm. doing this to to help people to see and know, or am I doing this to be seen or know? I'm doing this to help people see and know. Being seen and known is over. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Dig News Streams podcast. I'm your host, Dave Capozzi. Welcome to part two of my conversation with my friend Abel Perry about his trip to Washington D.C. Abel is a career pugilist and a passionate enthusiast of Black history and the history of the Black Church in America. After deconstructing his 30 plus years of experience in American Christianity, he now champions conversations. That highlight the difference in deconstructing from the Black Christian Church in America as opposed to its white counterpart. In these conversations, he targets the difference in their theology, their culture, and the way history regards them. Abel is known on social media as Poetic Deconstruction. If you want to keep up with the podcast, subscribe to whatever platform you're using to listen right now, and you can find a consistent conversation happening over on TikTok and Instagram. If you search for my name, Dave Capozzi, and on YouTube and Facebook at Dig New Streams Podcast. Without further ado, my conversation with Abel Perry. After you see that, and you kind of have this like come to George Washington moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's sufficiently petty. I love it. Yeah.、Um, then, like, what did that do for you after having experienced what you did on Tuesday? I mean, <sighs> I know when you're in a moment, right? You're in an experience. You're feeling all of it.、Mm -hmm. Did all the processing happen afterwards, or were you like having real time thoughts, like fully processed thoughts after that? It, it was a mix of both.、Um, The the thing that was very cool about my tour at the Capitol building is that、um, the the wonderful gentleman who who guided our tour、um, very 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 much was cognizant and continued to speak about the the contribution of Black people all across this building.、Mm. You know we. We got to the statuary hall where the crypt is. Yeah, and I I didn't even know this. Like under where the Capitol Rotunda is, like that centerpiece there, they call that the crypt. So like they originally meant for George Washington's body to be buried down there. You know what and, I mean? And his, yes, his his family said, "No, we're not doing that. We want him buried on this land and all that." And like like when when they Made motions to deify this dude, like they were, they were, they had every intention of carrying it all out to the fullest. Yes.、Um, but when we walked into Statuary Hall where the crypt is,、um, we're looking at all these paintings and we're seeing all these statues all around us. And he's explaining the significance of how each state gets to have two statues there and all that.、Um, and he said, "Now you'll see these paintings here." But let me just remind you that these paintings are not an accurate representation of what things look like. These are this. This is what he said. This on the tour. These are what white European settlers wanted things to look like. 
They did not want indigenous people to be portrayed here. They did not want black people to be portrayed here. So in a lot of these paintings, just understand that you're getting a representation of that time, not a clear understanding of that time itself. Damn. In, in the tour, bro. That's amazing. And and it, w- it was like that from the very beginning. When you first get into the Capitol, you have to go through the visitor center, um, you know, not bash in windows and, you know, hop through <laughs> that way. You, know, you have to go through the visitor center. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I was petty. I was just a little jab. But... <laughs> When you go through the visitor center, the first thing that you do, you walk into this theater and it's this very um, well put together short film, basically, that they they talk through the history of the U.S. Capitol, Mm. the building, um, the fire, all that stuff. And in the midst of talking through the Capitol, they talk through how this this crap was built by black people. They talk about the statue that's entitled Freedom at the top of the Capitol building that was built by black people who never understood freedom at that point. Mm-mm. They talked about the whole thing and they they were intentional about talking about it from the second you walked in that door until you left that building. They continued to mention the contribution and the misrepresentation through history of black people and their contribution to the U.S. Capitol. That's shocking to me. I was I was really taken back by it because like they're like, yeah, ask me a bunch of questions. You know, as we go through this tour, I want to have conversations with you. And, you know, me, I'm like, hey, I, got, <laughs> I got I got questions. My I'm, ready. And I, I'm ready. I'm <laughs> ready. And um, he disarmed so much of the things that I was prepared to ask. Yeah, I'm sure. Because because he was proactive about acknowledging the contribution of black folks. That that's amazing. Did he was he in um the chamber that you went into where the Dred Scott hearings were? Yes. So and he's he's actually the one who let me know. And it, it was it was crazy white dude. I mean amazing. super super nice. Um, I got the feeling very progressive, um, white guy, uh, you know, just, just good energy. And I'm sitting there and I'm just, I'm just fanboying out, man. I'm in the Capitol taking pictures of stuff. <laughs> and I took that, that cheesy picture of me <laughs> smiling in that quarters and he walks by me and he sees that and he does and he doesn't say, don't do that. He says, you know, this chamber has been used for anything, for so many things. And he looks right at me and said, this is the chamber where the Dred Scott hearing was held. And I just kind of, you know, tuck my phone away. Like this, this isn't a selfie stage right now. Oh. And, um, and I like literally my smile turned into a grimace and I, I just kind of started to think through and digest and recall that history, that yes. story. And it's like, it's like another thing where it's like, it's different to, to know the story, but then to have mm. something tangible to connect you to it. And even like I relate it to even the, the, the worship um, within the black church, you know, like mm. the, the dancing, the shouting, the exuberant physical praise, like all of that was means of connecting culture, like personal culture from homelands to this, 
new religion and theology that was thrust upon you. But the concept was to be able to do something tangible that connects me to this theology that gets me through this crap that I'm experiencing every day. Mm. And for me, seeing some of the exhibits that I saw at the African American Museum of History and Culture, walking into this chamber, seeing some of the statues, hearing some of the story, walking where these people have walked, it was like that tangible, that tangible thing that connected me to that experience, man. Yeah. And it was, um, it was powerful. It sounds it. It does. It's, you know what I didn't mention when you were talking about it during the last episode was that that same day I had taught my civic students about the Dred Scott hearings. What? Yeah. The same pretty, day. Same day. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty, <sighs> yeah, pretty nuts. And these kids, yeah, right. These kids are just like stunned because they know it's weird because they know the history they know about chattel slavery they know about all the things but the it's the little stories that they never heard about at any point that aren't so little right that like other like of a a, no you're actually not a citizen you're not considered a citizen even if you're free here Mm -hmm. like something about that clicked in them and they were enraged and it was great to see them enraged, but it was just so interesting that you, you were talking about it that same day. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of the thing that even when I, cause in my community, like I share history with um, young men, particularly young men of color um, in my community. And there's not, there's not an abundance of young men of color in, in Northwest Arkansas. I mean, yeah. we, we, we out here, but not like that, you know what I mean? But, um, even as I share history and specific stories, like this happened with this person, like to understand like a broad concept of chattel slavery, but to connect that broad concept to a to someone's personal experience. Yes. I think I think it makes it a little more real real for some of these young people. Absolutely. That's so true. I felt weird after the Capitol, especially after the experience that I had the day prior. Oh, I'm sure there there was so much history and then to, to see the place where this nation was governed, to see the place where to walk through the, the halls and walk in the chambers where people sat and decided that I'm not a human being or I'm, I'm, I'm not the same kind of human being that you are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. To to walk through those places and to just see how much of that history is still so very much connected with the United States of America, even though like people are, you know, this person was talking through the tour and acknowledging the contribution of black folks. But that contribution still isn't enough to to remove the hate that's historically a part of these halls. Yes. And so it's, it's like, like rooted if, in them. It's like, it's, bro, it's yes. yeah. If every, if every law changed and if every, if all of the change that we talk about and we fight for, and we, we educate to push forward, if all of that change happened like that, those halls would still possess that, um, that disdain for me. They would still possess that animosity. They would still possess that that reminder um, of the initial 
the initial perspective of this country. Like everyone yes. wants to talk about, you know, the content of someone's character, you know, well, what's the content of this nation's character? Yeah. Right. Oh, that, you know, that, that uh, brings up just this need for people to feel like they're, they can connect to the best parts of what they believe to be the best parts of this nation, but then remove themselves to be completely isolated individuals. Oh when they don't yeah. like the way that it feels. And that is ultimately a self-preservation mechanism. But those things that you mentioned, just like it would be in the halls still, it's in our bodies. You know, oh, our, yeah. our friend Royal Star talks about epigenetics, epigenetics a lot. Yeah. Like this stuff sits in our bodies. The oppressor mindset sits in my body, right? All, yeah. all of those things that were passed down, that doesn't often get talked about. Um, it needs it, to. Yeah, I think so. That that like Ivan, what was passed down to European Americans is not something that you can just logically work your way out of. Mm -hmm. You know, Resma Medicam talks about this in my in my grandmother's hands. This is all like healing work that needs to happen. And in, if, like you said, if every law changed, every law get get rid of every everything, do reparations, everything these things would still be in the soil. Oof. You mentioned like people, um, you know, kind of pushing back on some of this because, you know, it's uncomfortable. And yeah. to the people listening, I just, I just want to um, remind everyone that for the most part, growth requires some degree of pain or discomfort. If you, I, I was a professional fighter for years and, mm. and if I wanted to be faster, I was going to have to, to push myself to a point of discomfort. If I wanted to increase my endurance, if I wanted to be stronger, any, anything that, that I needed to grow in, I had to experience a degree of discomfort, even yes. in educating myself. And I'm focused more now on education than I ever was before, yeah. you know, but even now educating myself and reading some stuff, like for whatever reason, W.E. Du Bois is a, is a difficult read for me, bro. Like, Oh his, yeah. His, his cadence. It's, 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 it's just a difficult read for me. And I, it's uncomfortable. I have to stretch myself, but people, when people are when people hear the word racism or they hear certain words that triggers them that they don't want to be associated with it's uncomfortable yeah. and the reason that people work so hard to distance themselves from these words and these ideologies you know well not these ideologies but being associated with these ideologies is because of the discomfort yes 100% but, but the discomfort is something that you're going to have to embrace in order to change the shit that's wrong in the first place. That, that is the truest thing ever. If there's ever been anything that we need to name and claim, it's the fact that we have dis, like we have inherited and participate, if you're a white-bodied individual, in mm -hmm. this racial caste system. we got to own Absolutely. it if we want Absolutely. any chance at our humanity. And I think that like that person naming, it's just like naming it, raising awareness – acting on those things. These things are perpetually uh, skirted around. Like people Absolutely. just don't want to face this stuff head on. Absolutely. Like it, they're 
it's it's always there's always active work to circumvent these yeah. topics, these issues, these conversations. The work that has to follow the conversations, even after the conversations are had. You know, getting some get, having conversations with people, and like I usually go one of two ways. Like I I'm either trying to have a conversation and provide perspective to affect positive change, or I'm trying to bring you to the damn ground. And there's, <laughs> there's usually not an in between, you know what I mean? But in the times where I'm trying to, you know, give information and provide and, you know, affect some positive change, a lot of times people will get into a spot in a conversation where they can't push back because I'm not going to yell with, inf- you know, with emotion. I'm just going to give you history. Yeah. The history speaks for itself. I yeah. don't have to yell. I'm just going to let the history, the documented history speak for itself. And so people get bottled into a corner, kind of pigeonholed. But the next step after that, after acknowledging that they've been pigeonholed into a corner is to do the work when you come out of the corner. If you come out of the corner and you go right back to all of the shit that you were perpetuating in the first place, where are we at? We're just wasting time. Yeah, I mean, they are. Right. Because yep. we, we keep yeah. going, we keep going and learning and growing. And, and that yeah. ultimately is what I think about, you know, I listened back to the last conversation um, and I heard back from a few people who like were you brought to tears because of your, you know, way of expressing what you experienced. Wow. That's ultimately what you're, you know, and I haven't heard yet about de- Thursday, but what you're oh, doing it's, is, oh, it's coming. I'm excited about like investing in, um, stuff that's painful, right? Cause it's painful to step into these spaces after what you experienced Tuesday. It's like, am I going to subject myself to more of this? Right. It's, you have a choice there. It's not just information for you. For me, it's a different story. If I go, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go Thursday again. That was like really impactful. It's like a visceral experience to be like, I'm going to yeah. make the choice to go back Thursday, which Absolutely. you did. Yeah. And, and going back Thursday, man, I really had to, like, I started walking through that first level, mm. you know, you know, I, you, you're through not the bottom floor. I couldn't do that again. I, no, I couldn't do that again. You get back to that, that, that foyer kind of level where the cafeteria and stuff is, and you go up and you start these next exhibits. And I started walking through the exhibits Thursday, Thursday morning. And, um, like I kind of had to like I kind of had to like check myself because I felt, I felt guarded. I mm. felt, I felt almost like I was trying to protect myself. Like I didn't, I didn't want to break the way that I broke before. So as I started walking through this, I felt guarded and I, I didn't see anything bad. I didn't see anything negative. I didn't even get that far, but I had to go down back to that waterfall room and just sit, not crying, not wow. emotional, but I just had to gather myself for a second and kind of let just chill and let my guard down because my guard was high. My walls were up. And um, once I did that, um, the experience on those top floors was amazing too. Yeah. So you had enough awareness to be like, I'm not ready to receive this. Man, it's, I need to go get yeah. myself clear. Yeah, I mean, awareness has been um, 
a, a, a big part of even my deconstruction process, Yeah, you know, to so often in, in the church, I thought what I was told to think. I felt what I was told to feel. Yeah. Um, you know, someone would come up to me and say, oh my God, the hand of God is all over you. And that would kind of, that would kind of guide my thoughts and my feelings and my emotions. Um, so, so much of deconstructing wasn't even about, I mean, it was, a big part of it was, but it wasn't even about the text and history and the scriptures. It was about self-awareness. It was about, it was about authenticity, being real with myself, being real with the, the, the places where, bro, you suck at this. And in this regard, mm. you do that, you do this and this and this, and that's just as trash as everything that you tell everyone else is trash. Wow. And, and being able to be real enough with yourself to, to change the things that you have to change like that, that can't happen until you are open enough to acknowledge it. And just, yeah. and so, so That's yeah, so I was, I was, oh. I was able, I was able to, to kind of took me a second, but I was able to kind of identify that. And, um, I went back up and uh, the first thing that I remember, man, it's the, this exhibit kind of getting into the seventies. Cause if you remember that last stage coming out of the bottom is that civil rights era. That ends and with so, Emmett Till, right? Yeah, Emmett was like one of those the last things you see before you come up and start, you know, that that incline coming out of there. And you know, one of the first exhibits was that 70s thing and I when I when I let my walls down, I started to understand the beauty of the 70s for mm. black folks. The beauty of the 70s, man, it black folks had had the freedom to to really experience a little bit more and to to think and create and to to envision more you know it it was th just think of think of the things in music and art um there was a huge section on um Af afrofuturism oh wow huge section on that i mean and i'm i'm not a comic book guy or nothing like that i love love the marvel films but i'm yeah. not a comic book guy like that yeah. but um to even dive into the concept of afrofuturism like that was built around the freedom that black people had to think and create and not just i have a dream and dream of something more but i'm going to write out my dream mm. i'm going i'm going to create something that embodies my dream mm, yeah so that 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 whole afrofuturism um portion of the exhibit was awesome it made me look at things um so differently it made me look at the way that people engage black panther the you know they had the the suit that he wore like that's there right. and yeah oh, and it was so um Man, and so like even my father, when I was a little boy, my dad, my dad was a comic book guy, and you know, what's your favorite superhero? Black Panther. I mean, no, no debate, no conversations. Oh, love it. And so much of it was because it he felt represented. Yes, with Black Panther, and um, oh. you know that. Yeah, that Afrofuturism part of that exhibit was absolutely fantastic. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. Man, the 70s were, I mean, like, just think of the things that were created in the 70s, man. Think of 
think of the the music yes the the, the writings the the artistry the there's a very big music section um, awesome. of the museum oh. that 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 comes in a little bit and um I'll I'll get into that but the I'd never looked at the 70s like I mean I was born in 78 oh you know, were you and, yeah I I've never I've never viewed the 70s like that because I never really got to experience them yeah but um I left I left that portion of the museum if I could grow hair wanting to grow an afro and wear some bell bottoms and just like walk around and say, dig, dig that. I wonder, I wonder, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna start calling people on TikTok jive turkeys after this. <laughs> jive turkey. That's good. That's good. Yeah, man. But um, the next portion of the museum that really stood out to me, um, there was a, a section specifically about the organizations that people had built um many of them pre that civil rights movement yeah but through the civil rights movement into the 70s and yeah. moving forward and the the organizations that black people had built to to create community and to bring mm -hmm. themselves together and to organize and to 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 be able to um to really discover the power in unity yeah um, to to get things accomplished and to achieve stuff and Via my deconstruction, I kind of had a little bit of a, a bad taste in my mouth through that period of the museum, um, only because so many of the organizations that were were championed and talked about, and this is not a a negative statement on any of those organizations, like yeah. the work that they did and the way that they gathered people and the community that they built, like um, it was so much of it was rooted in a theology that was literally used to enslave people. Yeah. It was yeah. it was used to keep people ah. in line and subjugate them. And <sighs> there were so many good things that happened right. within these organizations, bro, but to see um to see the way that that religion just yeah. um yeah. the way that it grabbed the culture of black, the heart of black people and kind of um, in some ways, I feel like that religion held black culture hostage to a degree. Mm. Oh, and would you say that that continues? Absolutely. Or, yeah. I, th I think that, I think that, um, I think that being in the information age and I think that um, right now we're, we're living in a time where no one has, a right to be uninformed or misinformed. Like yeah. ev everyone has the ability and has access for the most part, everyone has the access to the same information. Um, you know, a lot of times people don't know what information to look for. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's as prevalent as it used to be. Um, but again, like if people choose that religion, I'm not, I'm not telling people not to be a part of I, right like i i'm i'm not that's not my energy that's not what i'm trying to say but the way that this religion connected itself to black people in this nation through slavery and the way that post um the emancipation proclamation and you know the carrying out of those laws you know through juneteenth and all that kind of stuff it's like 
into Jim Crow, into black codes, into lynchings, into, you know, the KKK, into all of these things that, you know, were just a part of black history and the black experience through that period of time. All of those things were done in the name of Jesus. Every last one of them. And I, it's being honest with myself, you know, yeah. and self-awareness and, and having yeah. to go down that journey. Like it seems unintelligent to me. Yeah. It, Does it I, feel like people are being duped to you? It absolutely feels like people are being duped. Not, not in regard to people informed, educated, aware people who understand what the Bible is how it was compiled. Yeah. Um, like who understand the history of getting to where we are now and through history choosing Christianity. Yes. Um, for whatever reason that people choose it. You know, I mean, that's that's not my life, that's not my journey. I think there are people who do that and understand, but the same way that you talk about epigenetics, yeah. Um, I think that there is for a lot of people, I think that there is a piece of this that just just feels like a part of you like yeah. yes to pull away from it is literally like pulling something out of you something out of your chest it, yes. i mean this this process of deconstruction many times for me has felt like that absolutely and yes so i i think that um i think that many people are duped not because they believe in christianity but I think that people are duped because they're believing in Christianity without understanding its history, without yeah. understanding and reading the book in its totality that they say contains totality of their faith. Absolutely. I think a discomfort that I've grown to have that ultimately made me not be able to stay in was that I can't. I can in good conscience and in good faith participate in a religion that is inherently a, a, an appropriation of an oppressed group. And so what was given to the people that were oppressed here is that appropriated version of it. So it's mixed with all kinds of weird things, but it does have that. Yeah. It has that imperial thing in it, in the recipe, it's in the soup. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or, uh, whatever you want to call it yeah. in the stew, you know, it's just like a bunch of stuff thrown in and Imperial Christianity is in there and it's hard to, to divorce that from it. It's hard to sift through and what's the real thing. And, and is it, is any of it real? So it's, it's a long and painful, painful process that makes sense. And to see all of these groups that do good things because we know like Christian groups do good things, right? We know that yeah. good stuff gets done. We know the civil rights movement was people of faith, Martin Luther King Jr. You know, Malcolm yes. X was a Muslim, but you know, these are people of faith, but Martin Luther King Jr. was a Baptist minister, you know, like the Southern Christian leadership conference, you know, there's all this religion, this Christianity tied up in this struggle. And, and while you're going through deconstruction, <laughs> decolonization and seeing that, I could see how that would be agitational. Man, I one thing that I've started doing, and man, I hope people don't come for me on this one. But <laughs> I've I've started like going back and just just relooking at the life of Martin Luther King and the work of Martin Luther King 
um, understanding what his education was, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Even the way that his his sermons touch congregations, um, he was he was often too political for some church settings. Oh, absolutely. Um, So for me, someone who is as educated as he is, I wonder and I'm and I'm this is just a thought. I mean, I don't I don't have anything to support this. I mean, I'll, I'm looking and seeing, but I feel like sometimes the church was more about having a gathering place, yeah. having a hub more than it was necessarily about the theology of the church. And I don't I don't want to to put that on that man's legacy. I'm not speaking that, but I'm just you know what I'm saying? I just, no, I, just that's worthy. I, I, that, I wonder sometimes. That's worthy of a conversation. Uh, I literally had this thought tonight. Um, as I was driving around, I was thinking, I know a lot of people that are ministers, right? I was a pastor. And how many people are able to just use it as a tool for whatever their thing is, right? That Absolutely. may not believe all the theology, but can articulate it. And I remember this because I thought I could do it. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I can use, I don't know that I believe in all the deity stuff, but I think it can be a useful tool for justice. And ultimately it just became too much for my conscience. I just was like, I can't call myself a Christian. I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. So, but like, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people do it. I think a lot of people are just like, this I, is home. This is community. This is like, it's power, you know, all that. I, but I think a lot of people use it in a positive manner, and I think a lot of people use it in a negative manner too. The same way that Christianity was used to marginalize, to subjugate, to 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 perpetuate harm. Um, I understand that not all ministers use it in that manner. Yeah, but there are some ministers who do that who use. Christianity to justify racism to this day, the same way that it was justified um, with burning crosses and those bigoted organizations, you know, in years past. Yep. Um, There are some people that are using Christianity to to grift and to step over the the poor and the homeless and the widows. There 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 are people who are still using it in that manner. So. Um, it, ma- it makes me think of that movie, man, um, The Book of Eli. Have you seen that movie before? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Bro, so The Book of Eli, the whole movie is about this this guy who has the last, you know, in, in apocalyptic days, has the last copy of the Bible. Yep. You know? Yep. And the bad guy in this movie is someone who just wants the Bible, not because he has any, you know, any, any value of the theology within that book, but because he knows that if he has that book, he can use it to make himself powerful. He can use it to marginalize (laughs) people. He can, he can weaponize that book Mm. against other people. That's the plot of the whole story. That's the whole plot of the movie. Yep. That's just kind of what it reminds me. Yeah. You know, this is a road you and I can and will go down many times, but yeah. you know, it makes me think so of all of the, the things that the church Catholic yeah. Protestant, you name it, it doesn't matter has done. I remember being in Rome 
And uh, I didn't go inside the Vatican, but I was outside of it. And there is a statue, which, but it's a, a Jesus sort of laying on a bench and he's homeless. It's basically homeless Jesus. And apparently this statue is in many other places. And people come and they're just in awe. They're like, you know, yeah, this is Jesus and who he was. And I'm like, this is bullshit. This is bullshit because the organization that perpetuates that and could easily house every single homeless person in their country never and be outside their country. And not to mention, I'm walking by it. It's nighttime. There are actual people experiencing homelessness sleeping around the Vatican. Oh my God. And are I'm you like, kidding me? how can, but this uh... to me was the picture that you just described. It mm. was, it's, a, it's the same thing that happens here. It's the same way that someone can put the cross next to the American flag. There is no understanding of how these things are in opposition to each other, right? Oh, Dave, you are cooking. Just save me a plate, bro. <laughs> save me a plate. Sorry, I got I got preaching. No, 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 about the no, Bible. no, no, no. I, man, I, I'm, I'm a thousand percent um, on board, on board with everything. And and as you said, this is a conversation that I know we are going to have many times. We will we're go down this road, and I. <laughs> There, there's so many, um, so many off roads and segways, and <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love it, man. I'm like, I'm taking notes, like I. Yeah, no, no. Let's, but I, I got carried away because I get fired up about no, this. No, bro, you get carried away. But, but you, you're in this, you're experiencing this thing, right? Where, wow. where I met you because you're poetic deconstruction. You're doing de deconstruction, decolonization, and you go into this space that has all of these different implications on your identity, on your history, all, and oh. you're confronted with all of that. And that makes sense that you would have the kind of reaction you did to seeing, well, all these Christian organizations did this work and I don't know what to do with all that. It, and, and honestly, man, I, I still don't know what to do with it. Um, yeah. I'm a big thing that I'm, I'm, this is, I'm in the process of deconstruction now where it's like, um, I'm actively working to separate the theology of the black church from the culture of the black church. Yeah. And yeah, that's wow. often hard to do. And it's, it's something that I'm having to be a little intentional about. Like I, I made a video earlier today. Um, there's about asking, you know, inviting one person to the cookout during I black saw. history month. And it was this little white boy, Aaron the bassist. If anyone goes on YouTube, his name is Aaron the bassist, and this kid is swaggy. Um, and he's just getting it, and he's playing this song by Kirk Franklin, Love Theory. And it's like, okay, I'm I'm gonna put that on my page. This this gospel song, yeah. Um, with this kid rocking out this gospel song because I'm I'm finding more value in the culture. Um, yes. The the way that. The, the church has been used to bring people together. The church's role in the civil rights movement. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't want to devalue those things because I think that will discredit um, the work of the people who came before me. And I think that it will take away from the culture of the black community. One thing that was also cool about the, that, that exhibit with all of the organizations that have been built, um, many of them in the name of Jesus, um, is I came across aspects of the Church of God in Christ in that museum. Okay. And um, 
and a lot of people don't realize this, um, but Mar- Martin Luther King's last speech before he was shot in Memphis, Tennessee, was at Mason Temple. Yeah. Mason Temple is and has always been the headquarters of the Church of God in Christ. Yeah. And most people don't know that. Yeah. So right. for me, I, you know, I grew up in this church in Anchorage, Alaska, and it, everything was so overly spiritual everything so you know you you would have politicians that wanted to come by and speak to the church on a sunday morning and like our the pastor of the church would light them up like a christmas tree we're doing <laughs> jesus work over here he, the pulpit ain't no place for politics and this and that like he would light them up like bishop charles d williams rest in peace sir like mm-hmm. he would light them up um and there was always this separation for me yeah. growing up of politics and church. So for me to walk into this museum and to see the activity of the Church of God in Christ and to see how the Church of God in Christ was invested in this civil rights movement and gave space for people like Martin Luther King and played a part in it, it makes me even go back and have to rethink some of my experiences in this church and growing up and and understand that everything isn't the way that I thought it was. Mm. You know what I mean? I love that. Just in terms of the community and the what what this organization was invested in and all of that. It's just um everything just isn't what it seems all the time. So I love that. Just just deconstructing bro. That's still process. That's so good. So that, but that wasn't the, that wasn't the end of the tour, correct? You didn't end with. No, no, the, the end of the tour, um, was the, it was the music portion. Mm. Um, Oh, that's such a great way to end. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And, and, and it was, excuse me, before we get to the music portion, the sports section of that museum was freaking amazing. It was it was dumb. I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking basketball, football, um, boxing, of course, golf, yeah. hockey, like it, any sport that you can think of, mm. like the the Love history that. there, the struggle to, to come to, for black people to come to prominence in that sport or to even just have an equal, you know, an equal opportunity. It was all there, um, highlighted so many incredible people. My biggest takeaway was, of course, the boxing section. Yeah, of um, course. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't know why that would be. But um, <laughs> well, that's a pretty profound. I mean, with Muhammad Ali, like there's there's. Oh, so- it, it's so profound. And, you know, people call Muhammad Ali the greatest boxer of all time in terms of his achievements in the ring. Yeah, he's nowhere near, he's nowhere near the greatest boxer of all time. But mm. he he is the greatest personality that our sport has ever seen and more so he's done more to positively affect his community than any other athlete that has ever laced up a boxing glove in history mm. and so in that regard i will continue to refer to him as the greatest yes but the one thing that was cool something that i've always said i even said it in um, a couple posts i've made but boxing is one of the last sports where it was it is okay 
to to train, to prepare, to talk, to to commentate, um, to make business decisions based on racial stereotypes. Mm. Yeah, and in boxing, black fighters fight a certain way. Like there's a lot of times short notice replacement. I don't know anything about this guy. I haven't got to look at any tape of him. I'm looking at him. I'm looking at his body type. I'm looking at his skin. I'm looking at his hands. I'm looking at his feet. And I'm making an assumption about how he's, how he's going to come out at me. And, wow. But that's the that's the norm of the sport. If it's a Mexican fighter, yeah. there, there's an assumption made about the way Mexican fighters fight. If it's if I'm fighting you, there's an assumption about the way that you fight. Now, often assumptions are wrong. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's that's how the sport and they and they just addressed it and the ability to um to level it out in in a way that other sports didn't often get the ability to mm. you know it's and it's you i'm in you know you're suggesting that i'm inferior and i'm this and i'm less than a human being and all this stuff well let, let's see how that works out yeah and, <laughs> Let's way, see way, how that works out. The way the way that they told that story through that museum, um, it was phenomenal. Bro. I, I did want to speak on that, but the la- the last piece of the yeah. museum was the music portion, and bro, it was um so so much of the influence of um black people in music. There's so many pieces of it that people know and that people um that people gravitate towards and there's names that people continue to want to put out. But um, I, I would encourage people to dive a little deeper um, mm. because at the root of every mainstream music genre in this nation, it's, is the creation of black people Yeah, yep. at the root of every mainstream music genre. Um, there is a fantastic documentary. Oh, it's about country music. What is the name of that documentary? Man, I wish I it's gone. I don't well, have it. Well, that you bring up actually something interesting there because um on the Grammys recently, uh-oh. Tracy Chapman um performed for the first time in like 15 years. Right? Mm-hmm. And she won. She is the first black person to win an award for country song of the year last year Ooh. tracy chapman and you know the fast car song yeah and she's now this like uh white uh country dude covered it but i don't know who he is i thought that was weird when i heard it originally like what what is happening here but this is what happens right thankfully she got credit and she's getting shown for you know She's the person that wrote it. She gets to, you know, be out there. and But that's not always been the case, right? It's been yeah. people like Elvis that take the song, song and make it, right? Um, and this has just always been the story is that a white person takes it, makes it popular, gets the money. And, but that's something that I, that, that um, it's, it's shown a little bit in, in that portion of the museum where black people are becoming the face of, yeah. of their artistry yeah. you know for for so long through the 50s particularly the 50s 60s um even into the 70s a little bit like black people weren't allowed to be the face of their own artistry yeah you know sign someone 
only to take their song and give it to someone else. Yes. Um, but to have black people be able to to write and be front and center singing and playing country music. Um, the name of that documentary is called For Love and Country. I believe it's on Amazon. Okay. For Love and Country. Fantastic documentary about the history of country music and the current state of country music, particularly the black involvement in current country music. It's a fantastic documentary. Okay. On it. Definitely on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. But that, that was, the, that was the last stop, man. And, um, mm. Mm. you know, it was for me, like the, like I'm still day by day going through, going through notes and, you know, looking stuff up and then, you know, trying to really dive into it more and understand it more and just get, um, not just say head under, but like a functional living, working understanding of some of this stuff. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's so much work. I, I feel like, I feel like I should get freaking six credit hours for, I was for thinking that too. I'm like, you should get yeah. like towards a degree. Some, bro, I should get some credit hours for this, but you get more than that. Yeah, yeah but the the knowledge is is all the payoff I need, man. It's all the payoff I need. Being the people that have never had to wrestle with, oh, um, what is my history in this moment? What Ugh. you know, what's been passed down? Uh, you know, do we have to make special assignment for for my history to be told? Never having to experience that is a profound difference in frame of mind. Yeah. Right. You 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 don't need any amendments to feel like a part of this nation. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that that simple fact, um, the fact that it doesn't move so many of us to try to dismantle this system, um, says a lot. Um, yeah. but but ultimately that's why more and more awareness, more and more conversation needs to happen. I'm gonna say yeah. this, and it's it's something that I've been thinking about since our last conversation and looking at, you know, this is like insider baseball, but it says something to me. Yeah. I'm a baseball guy. I grew up in, in New York city, you know, Yankees, Man. you know, <laughs> not a boxer. Right. We, in my, in my, not nah, in my dad's house, like I'm, you know, upstate New York. So we were Bill's <laughs> fans, but you go to church on Sunday and you cheer for the Yankees in October. And yes. my dad's, you know, so that's just, okay, that's good. just what it is. Like I'm, I'm diehard Yankees, man. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sweet. So, so insider baseball about podcasts. When I first started, everything was deconstructing white evangelicalism, all of it, but I didn't, you know, specify necessarily what I just said, Christianity, big, big, big numbers. As soon as I started focusing on whiteness, I lost half my audience. It's uncomfortable. The discomfort we talked about, bro. It's uncomfortable. Man. And you know, I mean, cause like the, you, you can't do one without the other. You can't, you, you just can't. Um, I fantastic creator. Um, I'm not sure if I said this in a conversation with you or if it was with someone else, but, um, fantastic creator on TikTok. Um, his name's Will, um, black guy deconstructing from oh, the I love Will. church. I love Will's Will. Dope. I love Will. I, I started following Will because of two videos that he posted. 
Yeah. He used to he used to do this thing where he would set up his camera in his refrigerator <laughs> and he would open his refrigerator and say something. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. And close yeah. it back. And um he did that one time and he said, um deconstructing Christianity without decolonizing it is like faith without works. And then he closed the door. <laughs> Bars. Just bars, bro. It is. He's actually one. He's bars. One of, he's so underrated. He's so. Bro, like, I don't. I don't know how he does not have fifty, a hundred times the followers that I have. I don't his understand. Content. His content is so fantastic, but I think because of what the content is, yeah. Because it's not just deconstructing. Because it's deconstruction, but it's tied to racial aspects of the oppression in Christianity. Yeah. Um, I think that I've accepted that getting the traction that I would like to get in my content isn't something that's going to happen with the way things are right now. So, so why am I doing it? Am I mm. doing this to, to help people to see and know, or am I doing this to be seen or known? Oh. And I, I'm doing this to help people be, to help people see and know being seen and known is overrated. I could not agree more with that. Amen. What that brings up for me is two things. One, okay. one is um, that one of the central and most important things that I learned from community organizing is that if you don't, if you're not in touch with your self-interest and what drives you to do what you do, why you do it, you're you're going to burn out immediately. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll do the whole thing where you like are fired up. It's like that new Christian that gets saved. You know, yeah. it's like. Hey, let's bring everyone else to Jesus. And then like, on fire. yeah, yeah. You're on fire. It's that thing, but you're not in touch with your self-interest. That's the thing. And then the second thing is I had this video that went viral the first time it went, I got a million views over a million and it was, it felt so empty. It felt so empty because it was not the kind of content that I like, like to be known for. Yeah. It was snarky. They, re- they were yeah, you, they reward the bullshit, bro. Yeah, they reward like, oh, I know how to piss people off here, right? And I was feeling pissed off, so I pissed people off. That's just the it's way fun. it goes. It's fun though. It's it is fun. fun. No, it's fun. It's fun. Fun. Yeah. But it doesn't like say I got you know seventeen hundred followers from that. They're going to be disappointed with they what they see with next. The rest of the content, <laughs> absolutely. That's not your base. That's right. not your target audience. Right. Bro. So what what I was doing in that moment was I wanted to be seen, and sometimes Ooh. we're going to make videos to be seen, and other times we're going to make them because it comes out of a place of creativity and love, and overflow of joy, and and you can have all of that stuff on a page because we're human. Uh, it's just knowing what's like really at the heart of who you want to be and what you want to create is a, is a journey. It's a tough one, but I love what I love so much about hearing and talking to you is this dive into self-awareness. It's this dive into what made you up into what you're fighting through, into what you're trying to figure out. Like the, that kind of person I can't get enough of. So like that for me, is always going to be the most creative and beautiful content. Like, man, you're underrated too. You know that. You don't, uh, you don't get man, that. I, I, I think that, um, I think that little by little, I'm finding my audience. Um, man, one thing that I have been a little more passionate about in the conversations that I'm having 
um, and even within my content, man, is um, there there are very few situations with my, my within the social demographic, you know, given the social demographic that I'm a part of, yeah, um, where I am in a position to socially um, inflict harm on someone or to be in you know, superior. And, um, there, there are situations where I'm finding those situations and coming across them, um, particularly in the way that even as a man, I engage women. And I like to think of myself who is respectful to women. I had, I have a wonderful mother who to this day, if she heard me do something disrespectful to women, (laughs) she would, she would, she would stick her foot sideways <laughs> up my ass. Like, like, like she don't play that. Um, but there are small things that I, the same way, and I, I said it like this, and I, I, I hope that the people hearing me um, will, will consider this perspective, um, particularly um, men of color. The same way that we want non-melanated people to, um, to encounter us and to enter our spaces and to understand um, their ability via their skin tone to to perpetuate harm, to inflict harm, to to just just kind of shit up the situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, the ability to do that. I think that men, in general, um, I'm speaking particularly to men of color. Um, we have to understand that we have to afford other marginalized communities that same that same um, attention to detail, that mm-hmm. same perspective, that same care when we encounter them, when we walk into their spaces. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I I I would always refer for so long, and not with any malicious intent. I will refer to women as female. Yeah. And I just I didn't understand how that was harmful. Yeah. And so I I had some fantastic people who let me know the harm in that, you know, and um my response has to be that I'm more invested in change and progress and being better than I am in being right. And um it it's a journey, it's tough. I mean, I feel like there's egg on my face half the time, bro, <laughs> but it's like this it all I feel like it we can't do any of this shit that we're talking about and we can't make any of these changes if people won't be real with themselves about what they need to fucking change. Self-awareness is the starting point. Self-awareness and history, those are the things that have to be championed in order for change to become a reality. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope this conversation inspired some new thoughts or questions within you. Until next time, peace, my friends.